As Gavin said, you know, it's been quite the, uh, quite the uh, week in the life of the church. Last week we, uh, we hosted a, uh, a conference with Catch the Fire UK and Isabel came and um, brought some mind-blowing stuff. Uh, I some, I, my inbox was full of people saying, wow, what a week. Um, and uh, the Lord really did speak to us both individually but corporately. Um, and as Gavin said, I'd encourage you to catch up. She gave two separate talks on Sunday, but also a prophetic word that was spoken over myself and the church, which went on for what felt like an eternity, but was actually 15 minutes. Um, but I, I kind of listened to it a few times, and as you can, I have had lots of people ask me, how are you feeling? That's a very good question. Um, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I was seeking the Lord during the week. I said, Lord, what do you want us to do with this word? And God gave me, in an instant, four buckets. I love buckets, by the way. Those that work with me know I like putting things in buckets. He said, you know, the first thing, Mark, is there are things in there that, that I spoke for, for praise, to say thank you for what God has done in this place, you know, as we honor our founding pastors, Chris and Fliss, who have sacrificed all to extend and build kingdom. And so there's things in there that we want to say thank you, Lord, but not just Chris and Fliss, the countless of hundreds upon hundreds of people that have come through these doors and other doors before this building who have served so faithfully and diligently. The second thing the Lord said is there are things spoken, Mark, that you need to learn to receive that I've already given you. And there were things like wisdom and many other things that I'd encourage you to listen to it. And so as a people, we, we need to be in a season of receiving what God has given us and believing that he's given those things to us. The third thing are things that he, he has done for us, he's going to do for us. So, he, you know, God said things such as I'm removing opposition, doing this, doing that. And they're the things that we say, thank you, God, that you are doing those things for us. And the fourth thing was things that God is requiring of us. And it may not be a surprise to you to know that God is calling us to do lots. Because we have our part to play in this. You know, when God speaks, it requires a response. And when God speaks powerfully, and so we are actually transitioning into a season of, as you know, listening, because as we start thinking about what does next year look like, indeed, what does the next five, ten years look like? You know, God was very intentional and said to me at the start of this year, Mark, I want you to cast vision for not for what you're going to do, but for the kind of people I want you to be. It's all about positioning yourselves, because out of that will flow the stuff. It will come. But if you don't position yourself right, you'll just go off on it. And so, and so what we've seen is God responding to us, seeking him, and he's starting to speak. And so we're going to be transitioning into a season of saying, Lord, what have you got for us for next year? And I will call a special night of prayer and impartation shortly to come along, and we're going to seek God for what does next year look like. And I'd encourage you to be there, uh, and uh, dates for that will, will come shortly. You know, as I was, uh, I was in the garden praying in my garden, and uh, I was walking to the end of my garden. The end of my garden, I have this field, and just, just fields behind me, and then on the right-hand side... But in the garden, it was lovely and manicured, and you know, there's, the lawn had just been done. I didn't do it, I have to say. Thank you, gardeners. Um, and we had a nice flower bed. And I got to the end of, if you like, our boundary, our fence, and all I could see there was just land that had yet to be taken. And I felt God saying, you know, this is where you guys are at as a church. You know, you have done an amazing job. We have built from ground zero, if you like. We've been extending kingdom and, and, and reaching the lost. That's what we do. We make Christ known to build kingdom. But it's as if we've got to this point, and the danger is we can just take a step back and say, well, hold on, this is a lovely garden. I like it here. 
the flower beds are pretty and the lawn is striped. I don't want to go out there and, and start hacking all that grass and start building again. And I really get the sense that, you know, God is make, sometimes needs to make us uncomfortable in order to us move forward. You see, being comfortable is a sign that you've stayed somewhere. And as a people, you see, you look throughout the Bible. I've kind of searched the scriptures. God nowhere says he wants to give you a life of comfort. He says that he is the comforter. He comforts you. But I don't know where in the scriptures and the Great Commission it talks about life of coziness. And the reason we are here where we are at is because Chris and Fliss were willing to say, I'm going to make myself uncomfortable for the gospel. I'm willing to be uncomfortable to reach the lost. And the danger of walking into this place and seeing the manicured lawn and seeing the flower beds is that we just stay comfortable and cozy. But I want to tell you something. It's a season of getting uncomfortable. Because if we're serious about making Christ known, we're going to have to be serious about getting uncomfortable for him and being inconvenienced for the gospel. Now that can sound scary, bless you. I hear that. I'm scared too, by the way. You know, the next five, ten years, this place will look different, smell different, sound different, all of that stuff. Not for the sake of change, but for the sake of that's always what we've done. It's in our DNA. You rewind ten years of this place, and it was very different. Twenty years, thirty years. And I said at the start of this year that the depths of the foundation dictate the height of the building, which is true in the natural. And we have a lot to do because of the foundations that have been put in this place. And so... I want to just put it out there and say, we're going to be a people that gets uncomfortable for the lost. And the question is, are you ready? Are you ready to start hacking down where we need to hack? Are you starting to ready to break down walls that have thus been there and, and boundary fences that have thus been there? And that, for me, is what I take away from last Sunday, which is the charge that he has given us to say, keep reaching for the lost, keep going, don't get cozy, don't get comfortable, don't look at the manicured lawn and the pretty flower beds and say, we've arrived, because the point at which you do, we've stopped moving forward. And I take that as an encouragement, by the way, I'm happy. I'm scared. Anyone else scared? I'm scared. Thank you, you're scared. Oh, my beautiful wife is back. <laughs> you're excited. Oh, that's good news. But that's what we are as a people, guys. It's in our DNA. We're going to continue to press forward. And so I want in this season for us to listen to God and say, what have you got for us? And actually, is a perfect segue into shifting gears into this new series. You know, actually, <laughs> Isabel did not know that I was kicking off this new series. In fact, what I'm going to be looking at in terms of the story, she actually pre uh, spoke on on the Friday night of the conference. I was like, oh, this is great. Thank you for the notes. <laughs> but God is lining us up because, you see, when God's spirit moves, he requires a response. And, you know, at the start of the year, we looked at the position series, humility, hunger for him, prayerful expectancy. No, faith-filled vision, prayerful expectancy, and then diligent hands. Because when you position yourselves for him, when he speaks, we need to get busy. And we looked at the story of King Josiah, didn't we, when revival hit Jerusalem. Because they discovered the book of the law, God spoke, and they said, right, there requires a response. And that is what we're going to be speaking on for the next six weeks. You know, I was in a Vineyard UK um, conference yesterday. I was privileged and honored to be invited to what's called the Council of Reference, which is a group of people of varied backgrounds that essentially advise the Vineyard UK Church's board. And so I was there yesterday in Coventry with uh, the Council of Reference, the Vineyard UK board, and John and Debbie Wright. And we looked at some cultural issues facing the church and how we as a movement respond. 
And of course, you could probably list them, and I'm sure you know them, but one of them that came up was this, the issue of consumerism in the church. Consumerism. You see, consumerism says, what can I put in my hand? Servanthood says, what can I give from my hand? Consumerism says, what can I put in my hand? Servanthood says, what can I give from my hand? And the danger of a place like this, I've heard you walk in, wow, this is amazing. Well, I don't need my help. I'm going to come and just get, get, get. But you know, the, the call of building kingdom is about servanthood. It's not about consumerism. And so there's a great scripture that's going to act as the anchor point for the next six weeks, which is 1 Peter 4.10. says this, Each of you has received a gift to use to serve others. Be good servants of God's various gifts of grace. And so we are in a six-week series entitled Gift. Gift. And the question I'm going to pose to you this morning is what's in your hand that God's given you to essentially be a gift to other people? I love this photo. You can put it back, please, Hannah, if you could. Those various gifts of grace, you've all been given gifts. And I want you to be able to discover what your gifts are this week, these six weeks. They're all colored, multicolored, but God has given you them. Why? To serve others. And in so doing, you become a gift to other people. And let me just get this right out, out here right now. Don't, don't allow cynicism to creep in and say, Oh, here he goes. He's recruiting. This isn't a recruitment drive. (laughs) Yes, we need more people. We always will. But this is not a recruitment drive. This is a call to building kingdom. There's a difference. We're not recruiting people for the sake of recruiting. I'm putting it out there to say God has given you something to serve others. And let me tell you, you will find the most fulfillment and health as you serve others. You know, we had Mental Health Week uh, on Thursday, didn't we? Um, Mental Health Day, and I, was, I found this publication, um, where was it, from the Mental Health Foundation, called Doing Good Does You Good, and they list five health benefits to serving others, and you know, I, I absolutely love it when science catches up with the Bible, you know, it's great, so I thought, wouldn't it be an interesting exercise to take the five points and see what the Bible says, so let's do that very quickly together before I, I get into our scripture, right, number one, serving helps, helping others makes you feel good. It says, when you help others, it promotes positive psychological changes in the brain associated with happiness. Well, what does the Bible say? Proverbs 11.25, whoever brings blessings will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. You know, by the way, when God instructs us to do things, it's not like, oh, do I have to? Okay, God, you owe me. He instructs us to do things because he knows it's good for us. Have you ever thought about that? Number two, it brings a sense of belonging and reduces isolation. Face-to-face activities such as volunteering at a drop-in center can help reduce loneliness and isolation. Who knows that? Who remembers that movie about a boy with Hugh Grant? Good movie that is. And Hugh Grant has this moment where he says, "I am an island." Yeah, he goes, "I am Ibiza." Maybe you don't feel like Ibiza. Maybe you feel like some desolate, isolated, remote, scraggy island on the edge of the Hebrides somewhere. Maybe you feel like that. But it was when he discovered that as he gave of himself and served others in this movie, he discovered fulfillment in a way he wouldn't have been able to do if he stayed on Ibiza. 
What does the Bible say? 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were given the one spirit to drink. We are part of his body. We are family. Is there a song there? We are family. Dun, 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 dun. Chantel, that's got some good moves there. I was, that was impressive. We are family. We're we're not called to be an island. Number three, it helps keep things in perspective. Helping others in need, especially those who are less fortunate than yourself, can provide a real sense of perspective and make you realize how lucky, how blessed you are. It's true. You know, what does it say in Isaiah 58.10? Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. That's a call. That's a, a charge that he's given us. Then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be bright as the noon. In other words, as you serve, you realize there's light in you, that it isn't all lost, that you have something to give. Okay, number four, it helps make the world a happier place. It's contagious. I heard a wee over there. Hebrews 10.24, and let us consider, let us consider, how to stir up one another to love and good works. You see, as you serve, you stir others. That's how God has designed us to encourage. Gavin said that at the start of the service. That we are here to encourage one another, to stir each other up to good works. And number five, the more you do for others, the more you do for yourself. It's the biblical principle, you reap what you sow. Or some people use the word karma. What does the Bible say? Proverbs 19:17. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will be rewarded for what they have done. Well, Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So let me tell you, if you want to get healthy and you want to get whole and you want to feel happy, etc., etc., ask yourself, what's in my hand? What can I give, not what can I take? You know, it's said of the vineyard, we say that this church is a hospital, an army, a school, a family, And for some of us, I think you just stayed on the hospital bed for too long. You think you need to stay there longer, but I want to encourage you in love to say, it's time for rehabilitation. Get out of the hospital bed. Yes, you know what, there is a season for that. If you're there, stay as long as you feel led to. But maybe, let me just ask you the question, is it time to get out of the bed? Because you're going to get some sores if you lie down for too long. Is it time, is your health and your freedom going to come? When you give to others? I think the answer is probably yes. And so I wanted to set the scene that this is not about us owing, you know, God owes us. It's about God calls us to bless others and for him so he can bless us. And I was struck by the story, and we're going to turn to it now. That was one of the the world's longest introductions. (laughs) John 6, 115, it's one of those most famous of stories. Um... And it is, of course, the boy and the, and the loaves and the fishes. And this is the perfect story of what's in your hand. Uh, John 6, 1 to 15, let's look at it. And what I want to do is read it, and then I'm just going to extract five. Five seems to be the, mag- the, the, the number today, doesn't it? Five things that we can learn for that's also going to set the scene for the next few weeks. So let's read this together, 6, 1 to 15. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? 
He asked this only to test them, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? (laughs) It's for you. Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men was there. Of course, there was women uh, and children on top of that. Assume 15, 20,000. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that were left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. What an unbelievable story. What an amazing, miraculous story of provision. But it started with what's in your hand. And let's look at five things then. Number one, his gifts. It's about need. You know, let's not look at at the Father in heaven as some kind of cosmic Santa Claus that gives us gifts just so we go on our own and play with them. That's the wrong view of the various gifts of grace that God has given us. He gives us gifts in order that we can serve those who are in need. Of course, in this story, there was a physical need, wasn't there? Hunger. But it's a perfect metaphor because there is a lost generation out there, lost people who are hungry for what? Jesus, who is the bread of life. And so it's about need. Asking yourself, what's in my hand? It's about how can I serve others and make Christ known and meet the needs of people who are hungry. That is our call. The Great Commission is about that, isn't it? What is the Great Commission? It's about getting to the end of that garden and saying, right, we've had a great time here, but let's go out and take the land for Jesus. That's what it's about. That's why there are the various gifts of grace. God is going to equip us for the task ahead. God is going to equip us. He's not some kind of God that says, well, there's a need out there. You go figure it out. He has a plan. It said in the script, Jesus knew what he was doing. He had a plan. And so it's about need. And I want you to ask the question, what is the need out there? Whether it be in here, whether it be in your workplace, whether it be in your neighborhood, whether it be wherever you are, where is the need right there? Because let me tell you, there, are, there is a need. There is a need. Maybe it's a, a word of comfort. Maybe it's a prayer. Whatever it might be, there is a need. And that leads me on to the next point in this. And I'm going quickly because time is uh, of pressure this morning. Number two, God instructs us. Are we listening? Number f- verse five, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? You know, Jesus didn't say, there's a great need here. Sit back and watch. Let me do it. He instructed Philip. But here's the point. Philip was close enough to be able to hear. Did I say Philip? Yeah, it is Philip. He was close enough. And you see, that is a call for intimacy. 
It's not about, I want to be a superman. I'll go and fly around and just do what I need to do and zap, 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 zap. It's about saying, as Jesus said, I only do that which I see the Father do. So here's the question. Are you walking close enough with Jesus, a life of intimacy, that when Jesus said, they're hungry, you're listening? Some of you might say, well, Mark, I don't see a need out there and God has never called me. Let me just ask you the question. Are you listening? Are you listening? Are you walking? These disciples were following Jesus wherever he went. Are you following Jesus wherever he goes? Are you saying, Lord, would you lead me to those places of need? Because when you walk with intimacy, he will always speak. And so God instructs us. You know, not by power, not by strength, but by but my spirit, says the Lord. So are you listening? Expect that God speaks. Number three, what do we learn in this story? Don't count the costs. This is how the disciples responded to feeding the people. Philip answered him, verse seven, it will take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. In other words, he responded by assessing the task with a human perspective. They assessed whether they could do what Jesus has asked them to do based on what they had, not based on the power of Jesus on heaven. You see the difference? I've got to tell you, in my life, every time God has asked me to do something, I've never been fully equipped to do it. But he doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. He doesn't expect you to have it all sorted out. He expects you to say, use me. God is not looking for capability. He's looking for availability. God is looking for stewards. The parable of the the stewards was about taking what they had and using it for his kingdom. So the question is, let me just tell you right now, if God calls you to do something, yes, it's probably going to sound way too big for you. But that is the whole point. You know, I think that we've got an identity crisis as Christians. I have. Because I read the Bible and all these miraculous signs. I say, that's amazing. Look how amazing you are, God. (laughs) Look what you did with the fishes. That's just so good. And then all of a sudden, God asks us to do something. You say, well, hold on a minute. You're not going to be able to do that. As if somehow, from the moment we read the Bible to now, he's changed. Well, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, is he not? And we've, we have been, this is, by the way, I'm going to talk to myself here. You can listen in if you wish. Mark, why on earth do you put God in a box? Why on earth do you look at him through the lens of human ability and not what, who God is? I mean, if we were a people that want to do amazing things for him, then we've got to look to him, not look in what's in our hand and say, well, that's not enough. And this is what happened in this story. But I love it because the little boy showed up the disciples. You can imagine him. Well, you know, there's 15,000 of you, but hey, I've got a few here. You can imagine the disciples. What is he on? I love you. I love your childlike faith. But no, that's the point. Childlike faith. Childlike faith is saying, I can't do it all, but I worship a God who's bigger than me, who has the resources of heaven, and if he calls me to meet a need, he's going to back me up all the way. And so when God calls us, 
as he will continue to do so, to do amazing things for him and his name in this place. If we say, well, I'm sorry, but those loaves are not going to stretch that far. We've missed the point. And why does he do that? (laughs) I love it. Builds our faith, demonstrates his faithfulness. And verse 14, after the people saw the signs Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. In other words, it's about making Jesus famous, not yourself. You see, if you swung in like Superman and did it all, wow, Superman, you're amazing. But we're not here to become supermen and women. We're here to point to Jesus and say, look what he did. It's about introducing people to Jesus. And that's what this story shows. I love it. Right, number four. Ooh, ask yourself, what's in my hand? This is what the boy said. I have these small barley loaves, and we've touched on this, so I'm not going to go into too much detail. But I want to encourage you to say, every one of you, God's given you a gift. Now, what does gift of grace mean? Grace means empowerment. Did you know that? We often say, oh, his grace is sufficient for you. And we say that in the context of, oh, you sin, don't worry. But we miss out the second bit of grace, which is that grace empowers. In other words, grace doesn't cover up bad living. Grace empowers right living. That's what grace is. And so those gifts of grace are there in order for you to be empowered to do the thing that God has called you to do. That's what that means. And each of you have got a gift. And over the next six weeks, I believe that some of you, God is going to open your eyes to gifts that he's given you. You know, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, Timothy, you've got to stir up those gifts within you. And this is going to be a stirring season of impartation. It's a season where you're going to discover new gifts. It's a season where you're going to discover the gifts that have gone dusty. But ask yourself, Lord, what are the gifts that you've given me? And number five, lastly, as we bring this plane into land, they saw him move. God took the little and made it large. God took the small, seemingly insignificant, insufficient, and made it more than sufficient. It says in the scriptures, they ate all they wanted and there were leftovers. God is not a stingy God. God is not a stingy God. God is a God of abundance. I'd like to invite the band up. So how on earth is this all possible? How on earth can we step out and see the miraculous? How is it that we can extend his kingdom and serve one another with gifts of grace? Let me tell you, because God gave us the ultimate gift, his son. For God so loved the world, we know the scripture, do we not, that he gave his only son, that whoever should believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. It's because of the sacrifice of Jesus that we celebrated today, the gift of the Father, that we are able to move in all that he's called us to move. And it says in Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is our model. We are not here to be consumers. We are here to serve. And as we do, we find fulfillment that we've never found. And we find that people are fed where they're hungry and needs are met. You know, I love, as I end, with the story of the first miracle, Jesus, at the wedding of Canaan. What did he do? He took the ordinary water and poured out amazing wine. Are you ready to be poured out for him? Are you ready to say, Lord, let's do this. Let's stand as I pray.
Lord, I want to thank you that we are in a season where you are calling us to respond. You are not calling us to sit back, back with a bag of popcorn and say, well, this is going to be fun, let's watch. But you're calling each one of us to ask the question, Lord, what is in my hand? And Holy Spirit, just hold your hands out right now. Holy Spirit, I pray that in this season that you would just impart new gifts upon us as a people to empower us to fulfill the Great Commission. Holy Spirit, for those gifts that have laid dormant, would you stir them up? Stir them up, Lord Jesus. And I pray, Lord, I just ask that you just break a spirit of consumerism where it's coming to the church, that we would be a people that serves one another and makes you known, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And let us worship. Thank you, Lord.